what would you what would you tell them to expect? What can you expect out of a Martin Scorsese movie? And can you even narrow that down with you kind of mentioned how eclectic he is? It's easy to box him in. But like when someone's done Goodfellas and Casino, but has also done The Age of Innocence and Cape Fear, like there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of room right. here. So what I, would what would you tell them? And I think Scorsese is the perfect person to do this. Right. You you point at the person you kind of flip it at like is this person a a family film that you point him to hugo if he's a like a period piece guy you point him to age of innocence if he's uh you know into some of the darker fare you go taxi driver or something like that i think that you, you just he, there's something there for everybody I, I think that you there is nothing to put your arms around i i think it's just too too malleable too mushy right mm-hmm. it's too much um, but I think that there's something in every movie for everybody, um, when it comes to Martin Scorsese, whether it be technique, whether it be storytelling, um, in, in my opinion, he's probably our best living, you know, filmmaker today. I mean, he has been, I think for a long time. Um, I, I honestly, I wouldn't even know what to tell somebody to be honest. I mean, I just flip it on them. I, I, I describe like the person I'm talking to and kind of make Martin Scorsese fit to them rather than the other way around. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another month of episodes on a podcast directed by. Uh, this month, we are not changing up anything. We are continuing with the same director. We are continuing with the great Martin Scorsese. We are now moving on to his more modern film, starting in 1991. So, Mike, you've watched uh, 10 Scorsese movies, and now we're on to number 11. So, what are your expectations for Scorsese maybe moving to a kind of a different part of his career? Are you expecting more of the same and what even would that be with the amount of variety we've seen already well uh i'm gonna correct you right off the top because i watched 11 uh, for last month i watched uh, who's that knocking at my door oh see so uh, did i but i watched boxcar bertha so oh so you had 12 <laughs> under your belt uh, i was actually thinking i'm like man are we gonna do this like once a year because it feels a little exhausting uh and that's even tackling someone as great as martin scorsese uh but behind the scenes uh, we have had <laughs> have the change of pace uh, kind of other offerings. So we're recording uh, in advance for the next month's selection, who assuredly uh, tops Scorsese in every way. <laughs> and um, only in six movies. Impressive. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Marty. Like, you Get know, efficient, you have, buddy. <laughs> you don't have to work that hard over this many years. My goodness. So I guess that being said, um, because we finished with Goodfellas for the first month, and now we're getting this... Uh, pulpy genre piece with Cape Fear. It feels like a victory lap movie. Mm. Unfortunately, uh, and I don't guess I don't have to remind people listening to a movie podcast, Goodfellas did not vanquish Dances with Wolves. So it's not <laughs> uh, the Coen brothers doing Burn After Reading after winning Best Picture uh, and sweeping the Oscars for No Country for Old Men. But it feels that way. It feels like a change of pace. But um, I think both of us did some reading on it where like, Scorsese had to be strong armed in doing this. So apparently not like this is not just like a one for me or one for them type thing. It's like everyone was like scolding him to do this project, including uh, Spielberg, who maybe would probably be our next like two months uh, project. 
way down the line. No, yes. we're close. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> what am I expecting? Um, kind of like a, a, I've been listening back to, uh, at least as of time of this recording, just finished up John Ford as far as what's out there. So I just that's the last one I've actually listened to. And I, we got to the end, and when you asked me that question, I'm like, I expect nothing from him. I think, and I, I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's like, you've given me every flavor I think you can give me, Marty. So pretty much what you do now is one big victory lap, like for me. I'm I'm giving, like, take off the shackles. He can do whatever he wants, and I'll follow him there, uh, even when he repeats himself, maybe. And I think Ooh. we may see that a little, maybe, maybe slightly this month. I don't know. Uh, but that's the accusation lobbed against uh, Casino, for sure. I don't know. We'll see in yeah. rewatch if I feel the same way. Yeah, so one thing I guess I should mention is we have a new expert this month. Uh, we have our uh, mutual, I guess, friend, we could call him, uh, Hiro from the True Bromance podcast, who is a huge Martin Scorsese fan. I don't know if I could get away with doing uh, a Scorsese month without at least having him on once. Uh, he's still very upset at me because we are not covering his favorite movie. So if you want to if you want to make him happy, I guess, go watch Kundun if it's available anywhere. I know they're putting out a new Blu-ray soon uh through kino lorber so you may be able to find it then but it is not an easy movie to track down legally so good luck with that uh you know what so. i'm really excited about not that not that guest or uh Kundun. Or that movie, no not no. doing that uh just uh, was told uh by another co-host of mine on 99 from 99 uh that mumford just got an uh, like not a new blu-ray but i think just a blu-ray from <laughs> kino lorber uh, and being the total asshole who's ungrateful for this like nice thing, like, hey, man, this movie we're covering that you kind of dig. Here's a new copy of it. I was like, oh, there's no special features. Fuck that. Who needs it? <laughs> <laughs> so Why would I you hope... release it if there's nothing extra I, on it? I will I say this to. for our, as you sort of air quotes, friend, Hiro. I hope that he gets all the special features that he desires for Kundun because he will get none of them on this month. Yeah. We will not speak of it. At all. I may actually watch it, though. Are you going to watch it, even though it's not one of our selected uh, films? Spoiler alert, I already have. I did this as a favor to Hiro. I watched, okay, so give I me your Kudu. guess. I've never seen this. What, my my what, guess? What's, what's my uh, take? Your take will be real pretty, real boring. I think that's mm. going to be your take. Because um, it okay. is is beautifully, beautifully shot. Uh, and it's, Just a reminder... And I guess this is a slight spoiler. If you've not listened to our first month, which I don't really know why you're listening to your yeah, episode to start off your uh, <laughs> Marty Scorsese uh, podcast month, uh, Last Temptation of Christ was my favorite. So there's no no correlation there. Last Temptation of Christ uh, pacing wise feels a little like a, uh, a car chase movie in comparison to Kundu. Oh, geez. So oh, it's, goodness. It's okay. very, very slow. It's essentially framed like three episodes in the Dalai Lama's life and every episode really takes its time. So it'll be, but it does make a very interesting double feature with the last temptation of Christ. So take that. Well, it'll be years love. before I get back to the last temptation of Christ again. So, so. <laughs> five years from now, sure. I'll do okay, it. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I think as far as like looking forward uh, to these movies, it's, I do think, you know, even though he doesn't, he wouldn't see it this way, the rest of this does feel absolutely like a victory lap. When you've made Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, like these are all movies that are in every top 25 list ever made, especially of American directors, American films. So like you can, I think at this point, especially because early in his career, he felt like he wasn't going to have a career. Like when Raging Bull came out, he was like, this is it. I'm never going to make another movie, so I better make this one good. And now I think he's probably a little bit more comfortable 
Uh, as comfortable as someone as guilt-ridden as Martin Scorsese can get, I think he's probably as comfortable as he can get right now. He should be guilty taking that dirty Netflix money. So yes, they won't even yes. play his, his film in theaters. And we will we'll talk about that later this month. I will <laughs> let out all of my rage about that whole situation by our last episode. So I guess uh, stay tuned for that. That'll, that'll be really exciting for you. That sounds fun. <laughs> well, which one are you most looking forward to in a positive bent, either mm. rewatching or watching for the first time for this that- month? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's two. Um, I'm really looking forward to The Age of Innocence because it's the one movie on this list that I had not seen. Uh, which Which you were, I remember you just being stunned by because it, it is right up my alley. It's, you know, it's Daniel Day-Lewis, it's Winona Ryder, it's a period piece, it's Scorsese. These are all things I love. Mm-hmm. So the fact, and this just goes back to, and I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, but maybe not. This is more because I am, I was a shithead. When I was a kid and anything my sister liked, I was like, stupid, don't like it. I hate it. And now I'm living like a 50 sitcom. Like, what is yeah. this? What, what sort of dynamic I mean, did you have? Yeah, well, we did get along that well. What are you going to do? Um, so now I'm going back and like realizing painfully that my sister actually has very, very good taste uh, because everything that I rewatch because I'm like, I didn't watch it or I thought it was terrible because she liked it. I'm like, you know what? It's pretty good. It's a good movie. So, you know, so hopefully I'll have the same reaction to The Age of Innocence. And the other one I think we've talked about that I'm really looking forward to is Bringing Out the Dead, because I think it's kind of a underseen classic uh, that doesn't get talked about enough. And I have never talked about it on a podcast. So I'm looking forward to rewatching that and talking about that with you, because I think we both we both enjoy that movie. And it's not it's not one that comes up a lot when people talk about Scorsese. I had, you know, when we first started this, put out a you know, a tweet about like, what's your must-see Scorsese movie? I don't think anybody brought up Bringing Out the Dead. Well, we got more votes for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore that nobody had well, seen than we had. I mean, I'm not going to knock those people. I no. Said that was the best last yeah. month. However, I was about to say mass unfollow for, for no one bringing up Bringing Out the Dead. Seriously. But it came out it. in 1999. So that the other podcast I'm on. Yeah. I feel like there's a very good reason it got lost in the shuffle on that great yeah. movie year, even a great Scorsese movie. Yeah. And also, Mike won't mention this, but you absolutely should go download that other podcast. It's called 99 from 99. I am going through the episodes and actually watching all the movies that I haven't seen from 1999 to catch up with the show. So you should, you know, listen to that show. And what's your ad on Twitter? Just 99 from 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so definitely. And uh, yeah, yeah, check it out now because if, <laughs> if this episode is releasing the 1st of November, I will only guarantee that I will pay to host it through the end of the year. <laughs> Get, <laughs> on Get on All it. Get on it. bets are off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bring it back like a revival for the 25 year anniversary. Yes. So five years from now, then you'll be able to get those episodes again. Absolutely. Uh, I will answer my own question. I kind of uh, said at the start that I always at least had my head. Casino was Goodfellas too. And I sort of take pleasure. And I guess, you know, yeah, you know, it's some, some measure of throwing stones against the great Scorsese. Sure. Um, by knocking a film that I enjoyed and liked, but being like, yeah, I liked it, but it's still Goodfellas too. So I'm kind of uh, interested in revisiting it for uh, a podcast. Don't think I've ever talked about it on a podcast uh, with adult eyes, uh, seeing if uh, it has more merit than just snark. Uh, and strangely, the uh, the other one that I'm, and I don't really have a good reason for, so this is terrible podcasting, <laughs> but just looking at the list, The Aviator. Like mm. if you ask me, which one do you just want to watch for pure pleasure with no podcast talk of this list? I don't know why. I, I remember really liking it, but I also liked, like, say, The Wolf of Wall Street and Silence a lot more and Bringing Out the Dead. Now, see, if anybody knows you, Mike, this makes perfect sense. It's a beautiful okay. movie with beautiful people. 
you know, about a pretty amazing time in cinema history. Like this should be right and up your alley. Obsessed with drinking milk. That's true. <laughs> yes, just Which is like my you. beverage of choice. I mean, thank goodness you're this. trimming your fingernails. Thank God we're not at you know this weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know this weird level. But yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that too. I mean, I think one of the only struggles for this month is just going to be the time commitment. Because every, especially as we get later in his career, and from what I hear, The Irishman is going to be three and a half hours long. Uh, that's kind of the latest news that just came out today as we're recording. So all these movies are like hey, two and a half, three hours. Like whew. Everybody's going to be on their couch watching it. So no that's complaints. True. And you can pause it. Cause yeah, that's true. This is Marty. Need your, need your bathroom break. I feel like that's going to be a long episode because we're going to be talking about the whole Netflix model a little bit more. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. we're just going to be raging. <laughs> for an hour but about netflix we should probably be thankful because that's the reason we're able to finish up with the irishman we that's have an true. exact date when 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 we can see it that's absolutely you might true. be lucky enough to see it in theaters but maybe, uh, maybe. me being in kentucky don't think that's going to happen dave yeah i might have to drive to san francisco for that one i might i might just have to do that i might be scorsese might be worth 45 minutes in the car <laughs> This is, this is uh, if I was the editor, this is where I would cut to Hyro's paint as yes. the expert. Yes, absolutely. But Cape Fear is is obviously um, Scorsese being a student of film again, right? It's him doing his Hitchcock. It's 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 in the style. So one of the notes I wrote down when I was taking it, it was like he's doing so many of these little tricks. I don't know the name for the tricks, but I could see them because as you you start podcasting, you start watching movies a little more critically uh, you start looking for these things you start seeing them you know these the way the the person's juxtaposed against the background and all these crazy swings and stuff that that hitchcock was well known for martin scorsese is doing them all right here and it, it's just it feels like every movie that he does is a, a like a like a hug to his love of cinema and that's what this is him Give it a big old hug to Alfred Hitchcock. All right. So now we're going to move on to our first movie of the month, which is Cape Fear. So I want to kind of start out talking about this is I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think we all have certain movies that just stick in our brains, whether it doesn't mean they're necessarily good movies or bad movies, but they're just stuck there. Maybe because we saw them at just the right time. And I actually, strangely enough, saw this movie I think right when it came to video, I think it came to HBO because my parents had HBO and I snuck out and watched this. So I was like 12 years old when I saw this movie. Um, And I realized as I was watching this that I'm still terrified of Max Cady. Like the second he showed up on the screen, I had this like visceral reaction. And I'm thinking it's probably the first time I ever saw a sexual assault on in a movie. Like, because I remember as I rewatched that scene where he, like, literally bites a part of her face off in the middle of this, like, I was like, oh, God, I remember this. Like, I could just feel it throughout my whole body. So are there are there moments in this movie where De Niro goes all out, maybe goes a little bit too far in his characterization? Maybe. But I don't feel like mm. I can I can separate myself from it enough because this was probably the first movie character that truly bothered me, that truly scared me. And I had that experience all over again, just watching it on my couch. Yeah. I mean, as you were sort of initiating that, that thought that, uh, stroll down a uh, horrific memory lane, I guess, <laughs> as a right. child, I was wondering, I'm like, yeah, cause at times he's, he's so broad and goofy. He is. Um, but does that contribute more to the terror when he, when you actually see this 
broad, goofy guy do these horrific things, uh, in particular to women. Um, so in that case, it's a uh, friend of the Nulty character. Like this, just being used as a as a prop to drive friend a wedge seems between like him. A, uh... Well, okay, <laughs> like it stuff. seems the, the terms have not been decided yet, right? right? right. Um, which which makes it all the more icky. My favorite word that mm-hmm. you're using an actual person. Uh, putting this woman through trauma to just drive a wedge between Nolte and his wife, played by Jessica Lang. Um, but even going to like, and then reading that uh, this was like just improv, where De Niro in a scene with Juliet Lewis sticks his thumb in her mouth repeatedly, and that was not in the script. And, and it like, looks Ooh. so uncomfortable. Like now that you say that, I totally believe it because her reaction is like so stilted. But it would be. Right. So it comes off as very real in that situation. But like, man, the more I hear about De Niro as an actor, like he's one of our greatest actors. But I'm like, I would never want to be in a scene with this asshole. Like he might just do anything like you just never know what's going to happen in that moment. Well, I was watching uh, uh, The Intern last night for, you know, another classic De Niro performance. Well, (laughs) should have won the Oscar. You'll see in a month, dear listeners, what, (laughs) what I think about that one. Um, and I, I stumbled across through my research for the intern uh, that there's an in joke about a mention of Jay Z, and so talking about De Niro and just how he carries himself, I guess, both as a professional uh, and maybe in his personal life, uh, he ran into Jay Z, who I guess they had made some sort of agreement to do something for the Tribeca Film Festival. Mm. And so De Niro had called him, like, I guess they'd arranged, like, yeah, yeah, let's discuss this further called him six times and didn't get a single uh, phone call response back from Jay-Z. And so I guess when he ran into him, I believe at uh, DiCaprio's birthday party, according to this like little gossipy article I came across, all he did was make everyone uncomfortable by like publicly scolding and reprimanding Jay-Z <laughs> for having no manners. And I mean, <laughs> I guess Beyonce tried to like calm De Niro down and he's like, no, no. They should just make know. a movie about this. I would watch this movie. So, so when we're talking about him like on a set where he's like, I guess, totally in character. I guess him putting his thumb in Juliet Lewis's mouth is not the worst thing in the world because he will just totally dress you down <laughs> if you're at if you're in at some birthday life. party. Yeah, he, he will make everyone uncomfortable. Uh, does that make him better or worse? I, I don't I don't know. Old school, I guess. Very much. So. Um, but you know, okay. So this, I was liking this movie. It, to me, it sits right on the same shelf as Silence of the Lambs because they came out in the mm. same year. I believe that's the first uh, Academy Awards I ever watched mm. was the year Silence of the Lambs won. Cause I just have like, and they won everything memories. that year, right? Yeah. Didn't it win yeah. like nine was, awards was or that something? What, uh, was it, it happened one night and one flew over the cuckoo's nest or those mm. like the three that won like actor, actress, director, picture, right. screenplay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kate fear was, you know, Juliet Lewis, I believe was nominated. Yep. Robert De Niro yeah. was nominated. So I'm like, Oh, and that I think was another screenplay too. I think it was nominated for screenplay as well. Like it's, it was very well thought of, but just yeah, ran it, into a buzzsaw that year. Yeah, and it couldn't even be like the fun genre movie either. It's like, no, that was Silence of the Lambs, and it did it better, I guess. Even when you were talking about what was the first sexual assault you remember seeing on screen, I thought Silence of the Lambs, because mm. I thought of the man uh, throwing his semen at Jodie Foster. And as a child, probably not even fully understanding the implications of it, right. but it was so off-putting. That there's things that just like are etched in your brain. It's right. like... So something so sinister and icky. And yeah. I, as much as I really like Cape Fear, it's not one I like to rewatch. Like 
I did it. You mentioned our expert, uh, Hiro from the True Bromance Film Podcast. I rewatched it years ago for his podcast. And I remember thinking, like, this is great. Like, you know, everything I love, the performances, it's mm-hmm. like, it is doing like this version of a thriller that kind of bleeds into the, the horrific so well that it makes you think, oh, Scorsese, De Niro, Nolte, Lang, they should all do this more often. But then by the end of it, I'm like, all right, that's all I need from you. Like, you chuckleheads. Like, that was right. so effective. I don't want to spend any more time in this world than I have to. And there are some movies yeah. that can be A-plus in effectiveness. But because of that, you don't really want anything more to do with them. So as soon as this, yeah. like, two-hour, ten-minute runtime's over, I'm like, okay, I'm glad that's done. Let's, yeah, can I we d- move to the safe space of Casino? Because I hear <laughs> right. that's much safer. Nice, gentle movie. Yeah. Yeah, I. it's interesting because... I feel the same way about it, um, and I realized about 10 minutes into this watch that I felt that way. Like, I almost don't want to watch this right now. Like, this is, <laughs> like, because I Even know, more like, yeah. I know what's coming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that there are no real good guys in this movie. And I think it's it's a really... Hold int- on. What do you go against Jessica Lange grieving for her dead dog? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, But I think, you know, in the original movie that this is a remake of, like you have very much this innocent man who's being tormented by this terrible villain. And in this and he was just doing his job. Right. And in this Nolte, like, yeah, he he doesn't deserve this, but he's not blameless. He's dirty in this movie. He made a decision to send this man to prison that he was his job was to defend him. Right. And he, but, and the thing that, you know, really will get you is like, there's a part of you that watches this and goes like, well, yeah, he kind of deserves it. Like based on what Nick Nolte's character has kind of talked about, like he, you know, raped this woman terribly and left her to die. Like, it's, oh, okay. You know, I thought you were saying Nolte and his family deserved it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no. I don't know about that. <laughs> no, that Katie probably deserved to go to jail for those 14 years, but you know, Nolte, had a job to do, and he chose not to do it. And you talked about De Niro being so broad in this, and you're absolutely right. Like, you know, of course, the one, probably the most memorable moment of this movie is him in the movie theater. That's the thing that gets, you know, put on the internet constantly. Like, that is that is the scene from this movie. But I keep going back to now, near the very end of this movie, with his, like, <laughs> with his mock trial. The papal call, Samuel G. Vote! Do you swear to tell truth not about the truth, so help you go? Katie, somebody's got a man in the boat. We're heading into unprotected you water. Swear? I'll do it. Now. I'm sitting there, yeah. Don't you make light of your shit, you duty daughter. Go to the jury. All right, all right. Okay, okay. I swear to tell the truth. What do you want to know? Was a prior sexual history ever prepared connection with my defense? <sighs> Was a prior sexual history ever prepared connection with my defense? <laughs> ah! I'm sorry, Your Honor. I agree. That was argumentative. Out of context, this is one of the funniest scenes maybe we've watched for this podcast. But well, within the context, program, it is terrifying. You <laughs> don't program like comedies. I mean, as much as you love... No Billy Wilder. The Quiet, the quiet Man, you know, where a woman is going to be beaten with a stick by Good. the at the town square. As much as you Good love that family name. fun, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, we've not had Billy Wilder. We've not had, you know... A, a man or woman that's like known for their comedies. Nope. Yet. Not yet. yet. Soon. Soon, dear <laughs> listeners. Soon. soon. Uh, can't wait to get back to the intern. Um, yeah. Like for me, I think obviously the theater image, because I, I reference it a lot, like yeah, even just recently watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I felt like, 
me and my uh, friends, even my uh, uh, adoring like you know wife, who I, I think is so sweet and kind. Where I am not, like we watched Tarantino's latest that has some pretty uh, horrific moments of violence, and we were Max Katie, and I felt like the the <laughs> audience we were watching it with were like, wait, what? You're are we supposed to laugh at this or yes. what? What is happening here? Um, I think of the moment where he's <laughs> Dapper Dan, like posing like he's in a uh, a centerfold magazine on their brick wall on their property line with oh, the fireworks yes. going <laughs> off behind him and i'm like this is ridiculous like this it is you know, it doesn't look real and it's not it scorsese like in new york new york which you loved you know has has My dabbled favorite. in that yep. yeah best it, movie ever made as yep. well it should be um dabbled in like okay we're going so far into you know this sort of unreality i guess that's like but he doesn't use it to make you feel safer that this is just a movie. In fact, like yeah. in New York, New York, it's like because he chose to film on these like classic sound stages where a lot of classic musicals were, the horrific actions, in particular of the De Niro character, is this horrible asshole. It just makes it worse that mm-hmm. we're in this like sleek, fake, like, you know, this is <laughs> idyllic fantasy setting. And so here you've got this jackass, this <laughs> horrible jackass. What what is he? Burt Reynolds and Playgirl. What is he doing? And he's got the fireworks behind him, and it just yeah, looks puffing on absurd. the cigar like his. Yep. <laughs> but there's always that threat of he's about to bite someone's like face off, like yeah, or or you know get his face burnt off himself with a, a you know an accident. Don't you know he really misjudged Juliet Lewis. Yep. Like, yep. I mean that is you know I think one of one of the minor faults of the movie is I think they, that the script does lead you to know that's what's going to happen. Like there's a line early in the movie where they're kind of setting a trap for De Niro, you know, with the teddy bear, the, the fishing, fishing wire. And like, Oh, well, you don't know her daughter. She would never hurt a fly. And I was like, Oh, she's definitely going to hurt this guy. Well, like the film <laughs> opens with her, right? Yeah. Like recounting it. And it's got the, uh, I think it's, um, very like vertigo references, like you know the the eye, like in the the way that the face like changes colors and yeah, um, and the score you know, and sounds very you know very reminiscent of Hitchcock well, as well. And like, the the movie wraps up with her like you know voiceover yeah. on it, like you know it's this sort of like strangely sadistic storybook ending where we have De Niro speaking in tongues, yes. and and Nolte has full on like become this caveman character. He's like <laughs> on him with a rock, and like even carrying himself like that, and yep. Jessica Lang has this weird, like, sort of backwards, creepy motion covered in mud. Like, they've gone, like, totally back to their, I guess, man's, like, primal instincts mm-hmm. to just, like, smash something with a rock. I, <laughs> yeah. There are, like, these little flourishes in this that it's, it is kind of strange to me that this was a mainstream hit. Cause oh, I, I, I don't understand it. I, I have no idea what was going on. This was like, yeah, let's bring the whole family. Let's all go see Cape Fear. Like, no, I don't. <laughs> Cause the closest like approximation to like it now to me, uh, would be something like the neon demon, which is, mm. has that sort of broad comedy, but also like excessive violence. And you said that there's like really no one to root for that. Even the people that are being terrorized are like, well, they, they're <laughs> kind of some... an asshole. I mean, yeah, like in Nolte. I mean, I think that's why Nolte is introduced as like possibly like, uh, well, not even possibly like possibly continuing to be an adulterer. Like mm-hmm. it's revealed later that that's the reason they've moved to like this small town is to, I guess, get away from temptation. Right. For and he's him. already found someone else like ready to go. <laughs> 
Nick Nolte's like a hound dog, you know. He's just <laughs> he's he's going to find trouble, and he just the man just is like he just looks like he is constantly covered in an aura of sweat and shame. Like Nick Nolte, <laughs> I think that's just Nick Nolte in general. Like that. Can, can you think of one performance of his where he just looks like totally calm and serene? No, there. I don't think I it either. exists. Like I don't. And he's still he's still working. He's in that uh, Angel Has Fallen movie, apparently acting crazy in that movie too. So I don't uh, think that's stopping anytime soon. He's got a, a voice for crazy. You he know, does, especially especially as he aged. I mean, he always had a great voice, but you yeah. you add the years and the mileage on it. Yeah, yeah he I'll was just even... look at his uh, IMDb, like the top ones known for Affliction, which I think he's an alcoholic with an abusive father. Small town. I think he's a cop. The Prince of Tides, which she, the posters, him covered in sweat and also covered <laughs> by Barbara Streisand, both of them in the nude, good for them, and 48 Hours. And, you know, <laughs> the other buddy in this buddy oh, cop yeah. comedy looks like he's having fun. Nolte does not. Yep. Like, yep. Absolutely. It's, it's a really interesting movie in a lot of ways. Some just on the surface. It is a great genre picture, but in... In one very specific way, it reminds me of The Color of Money that we talked about last month, where I, I you can almost feel Scorsese being bored by genre mm. trappings, where he's like, I gotta have a little fun here. No one's gonna notice if I turn them into cavemen at the end, right? Like, he just, like, he can't hold it together long enough to mm. just make a simple genre picture. And it, you know, you brought up this, I, you know, uh, how he had kind of had to be strong-armed into this, and apparently originally... Uh, Spielberg was going to direct this, which just blows my mind. Like the idea of Spielberg directing a movie about a serial rapist attacking a family. Like I can't even, like I, my mind can't wrap myself around it. And the, do you know who the, uh, Max Cady was going to be? I feel like I do, but it's, it's left my brain. In the, in the Spielberg version, Bill Murray. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Murray. It's, I just, I can't, it's like, what about Bob, but he's a murderer? Like, it's just, there's yeah, so a little much, bit darker. so yeah. much going on. And the trade-off was we would have gotten a Scorsese version of Schindler's List. Which, like, again, like, Schindler's List is such, and we'll get to this eventually on this show, but it's such a, like, thoughtful and slow movie. It does make me wonder what Scorsese would have done with that. I'd much rather see a Scorsese Schindler's List than a Spielberg Cape Fear. I'll say that. I think it worked out. It's the rare yeah. time when I think things worked out as they should. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is a tremendous performance from De Niro. You can never say the man does not commit. Uh, he really went out. I read he like he had some surgery done to his teeth to make him look uh, more frightening. Yeah, it was like this. he spent like five grand to get him fucked up and then 20 grand to, to get him fix fixed him. again. Yeah, like yeah. sometimes there's too much commitment. Maybe you could just calm down and like, you know, it's called acting. Just, just act like a murderer you don't have to cut your teeth out like it's fine for me the the mvp of the movie is nolte um and i don't know if it's just like you know he's always been such a physical performer and just a big dude like he's known for like north dallas 40 he had to be weak and yeah sort of emasculated a little bit and Mm -hmm. even de niro when he's like in this mold or like taxi driver you know he's not he's not a big man like nope He's very intense. He makes up for it, but he's muscular in this. But he's still lean. He's just that's his body type. Like he's not going to get mass. Like that's not who he is. Yeah. So I've, I've have you ever seen the original? Because I have not. Uh, I have, but like not recently enough that I could talk about. It. Like I feel like it was probably like fifteen twenty years ago. Mm. I saw it. You know, like kind of in the background. But one thing to bring up. It's kind of nice that. And this again, I think will be a recurring theme with Spielberg and just his love of older film. He brought back. 
the two lead actors to play roles in this movie. Robert Mitchum and Gregory Peck uh, were the original leads in uh, in Cape Fear, and he brought him back in this movie. And it's pretty, you know, pretty fantastic. I would just listen to Gregory Peck talk for like two hours. <laughs> See, High he, entertainment. <laughs> he is in full on, like, if I'm the judge... Uh, I can't listen to him uh, nor Max Cady because it's like, Jesus Christ, just answer directly. Like, can we just like. It's like... very much. It's a very grandstanding performance. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's one of those moments that Scorsese loves these older actors so much that he's just like, hey, man, go nuts. Just have a good time with this. Yeah, he kind of just throws a... the ball out there. Yeah. Just roll it out it's there. It's a genre movie. Go for it. Have a good time. It makes me wonder if you had interviewed Scorsese before this, be like, hey, do you think this will get nominated for Oscars? If he would have just laughed you out of the room. Yeah, fuck no. Like, of no not. fucking way that that's going to happen. I read a review from Ebert and you could kind of you could kind of hear him talk about like this. He loved this movie. He thought it was great. It's as good as this genre gets. But there is a little like pain behind that writing of like, but it's Scorsese. What are you doing? Like you, you made, you know, a movie about Jesus Christ. You made taxi driver. Like you made some of the greatest American films ever made. Why are you fucking around with Cape fear? Like what's going on? If memory serves, was this, I believe this was, this is universal, right? Mm -hmm. And as well as casino, I, I feel like I read that he felt kind of duty bound or honor bound uh, to put some money back in their mm -hmm. coffers for uh, backing The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that you movie was if never going to make a lot of money. It's... I don't know who had the rights to what, but I'm like, yeah, give me Cape Fear and give me your next gangster movie after Goodfellas. Right. Uh, give Age of Innocence to uh, Columbia. They can yeah, have that one. They we'll can have that too. nonsense. No, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, now that we've finished kind of our first movie in more modern Scorsese, um, is there anything you're kind of expecting moving forward? Anything you're worried about? Is there a direction you'd like him to go if you if you like hadn't seen the next movies coming? I, I mean, I wouldn't be, but I guess um, I, I think he he you know I know he was kind of friends, or as much as I guess like a director and critic can be friendly with each other with Ebert, who mm -hmm. like supported him like. Pretty from much, the beginning, I think from the beginning until the end, like I, I mean, he, he, ever, he loved Boxcar Bertha, which everybody hated. So I don't think he ever gave a, a negative review, to my knowledge, of a Scorsese movie. I don't think so either. Uh, I I think not for me, but for Ebert. You know that impatient prick that he was. Uh, <laughs> Do something think, real, Marty. <laughs> I think Age of Innocence, uh, <clears throat> side on scene, would answer that challenge of like, okay, putting his talents. Uh, elsewhere because it's like it's off the beaten path from what you'd expect probably of Scorsese uh, but yeah he's not just doing a remake of a classic thriller so I I don't know I, I hope uh, Ebert was pleased when we get to Age of Innocence I guess on the next episode that is the next movie right yeah I think so I'm trying to um, yeah it's Age of Innocence and then Casino we're covering both of those on the <laughs> next natural, episode natural, natural pairing <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> All right, so uh, that is it for this episode. Uh, if you would like more of our nonsense, you can follow us, of course, on Twitter, where everybody is wasting their time, uh, at Directed by Pod. Or if you'd like 
some uh, some bonus features, you know, the things that Mike always complains that some Blu-rays don't come with. We have our own special features on our Patreon site, which is just patreon.com slash a podcast directed by. And you know all those interviews that you're hearing snippets of, you can hear the whole thing uh, if you donate any amount of money to us. It's as little as $1 a month. Um, and there's some other rewards on there as well. Uh, so feel free to go to that side and give us your hard-earned money. So until next time, uh, when we will be talking about The Age of Innocence in Casino, uh, we hope you keep watching Scorsese along with us all the way up to the release of The Irish Post.